0: Welcome to the podcast Cocktail Party Economic Conversations with your hosts, Evie Animate and Richard Maranta.
1: Well, welcome back to Cocktail Party Economic Conversations. Um, I am thrilled to have as our guest Lauren Langill from GM. Uh, we are thrilled to have her because we're talking about chapter six, which is supply side. And in that chapter, we spend a little bit of time talking about the auto sector, which is a very important sector in North America. And uh, Lauren uh, works with them. So welcome to our program, Lauren.
2: Thank you so much. Um, it's it's an honor to be here.
0: Hi Lauren. It's Rick Maranta. Uh, I work with Evie on the book. Um, I'm just going to ask you a bit about um, your company and what you do, and then I'm just, just get a little sense of, you know, your journey from University of Guelph to there, where you are now. Um, Finance communications at General Motors, it sounds like a really challenging thing, like, especially these days, communications is probably under a lot of pressure on, like, all fronts. Like, I'm sure there are people that are, aren't doing much in an organization, and there's people doing a lot, and I think communications has got to be a a big, uh, sort of, hot uh, area to work in right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, of course, a lot of crisis management right now. Um, there always seems to be in communications, but uh, you can never predict uh, a global pandemic uh, to the scale that we're looking at today. So uh, we, we've been very, very busy, not only in financial communications, but in communications at, at the whole company. So yeah, it's been an interesting ride for uh, the past uh, six to eight months.
0: So what's, what's, what's uh, the top of your to-do list these days in terms of uh, financial communications?
2: So with financial communications, uh, my role, it is to, um, it's to look at the numbers that are coming in and craft a narrative about um, what the numbers mean for our investor community, for media, for customers, for dealerships, mm-hmm. um, you know, for all of our external parties, uh, policymakers. Um basically giving context to numbers um Mm -hmm. so the biggest part of my job is preparing all of the communication materials uh press release um talking points for our ceo cfo i mainly work with the office of the cfo um you know how how are we going to tell the narrative of what happened during the quarter um and Mm -hmm. positioning us if it's you know a quarter where we lost money which doesn't happen very often unless you know we're in covid um, but explaining to, um, investors in the business community, community about what happened and why, and why they should have confidence, um, in, in our management team, in the company and, uh, our future, uh, decisions.
0: Okay. So uh, tell, tell us a bit about your journey. You went to the university of Guelph mm-hmm. and now you're, um, you're at GM. So that's a bit of a journey. So just. Give us a, a bit of a you know road trip type of sure. Thing it
1: actually yeah. is a bit of a road trip.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you follow along on this one. Um, so started at University of Guelph, degrees in uh, economics and finance. um Didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. Uh, while I was in college, my dad got transferred to the U.S. um So when I graduated, I'm like, okay, I can either stay in Canada and build a life, or get a green card and go to the U.S. and figure things out from there. So uh, that's what I decided to do, not knowing what was going to be next. Um, this is in 2011, 2012. So not long after the financial crisis, there weren't a whole lot of jobs. Um, my dream was always to be a news anchor. So I decided to go back to school. So I went to the University of Missouri to do a master's degree in business journalism, uh, or sorry, broadcast journalism with a focus um, on business because of my background. Um, and from there, I got my first internship with Bloomberg in Washington, D.C. Um, then CNBC picked me up and then they gave me my first full-time job as a producer in New York City, which I mean, the stories that I have, um, and what I've experienced and people I met, like I learned an incredible amount, um, through those experiences, uh, loved it, but, um, I just knew that it wasn't entirely for me. I wanted to get back to, um, instead of chasing down the narrative, I want it to be the driving force behind the narrative. So yeah. I applied to general motors and I actually started in manufacturing, which, um, I think is one of the best ways to start, especially in communication. So you can understand, um, you know, the backbone of the organization and, and how things are run. Um, so I was in manufacturing for a year and a half at the Corvette plant in Bowling green. And, uh, uh, SUV plant and an engine plant in Tennessee. Um, and after about a year and a half of that, I got transferred up to headquarters in Detroit um, doing sales communications um, for the company. And last summer, they transferred me into finance communications. So I've been doing that for about a year now. Um, and I mean, how I got here, it was just, you know, jumping on opportunities as they came, positioning myself and making sure I had the right experiences to, to get where I want it to be. And Where I am today, I think it's the perfect combination of um, my journalism degree, finance and economics. Um, And it's a lot of fun. I get exposure to, you know, a lot of high profile people at the company. I get to see how decisions are made on a global scale. We're a global company, of course. Um, So, yeah, it's been quite a journey.
1: So I know COVID's a huge deal, but what about um, what do you think the big issues are in terms of keeping costs down, staying competitive in the auto sector? Because I'm sure every company is trying to figure out how to how to keep the cost of a car down on on a global scale.
2: Sure. Um, So I'd just like to remind everyone that these are these are Lauren's opinions, not General Motors' opinions. uh, You know, based on my experience. Uh, automotive is a very capital intensive business, <clears throat> as you all know, excuse me. Um, so keeping costs down. Um, I mean, you mentioned in your book, labor is a huge cost. So that's something that, um, we have to deal with, um, uh, inputs, um, commodities that go into our vehicles. That's, that's another thing that we're always hedging against, um, a major thing that I don't think is talked about a whole lot is that um, we build where we sell. So uh, the vehicles that we're selling in North America, we're typically building here, the vehicles that we sell in China, we're building there. Um, and that is a hedge against foreign, foreign exchange rates, um, which is another huge consideration. So, I mean, in terms of costs, there is uh There is a lot going on and and just structuring your business and your balance sheet um, to be able to survive a downturn is very important as well. Um, Obviously in 2008, we are a very different company than we are today. Uh, We took a lot of learnings from 2008 and applied that to the way we make decisions. And I mean, we were down um, this past quarter, we lost eight weeks of production and that is that's how we book revenue. We book revenue when we build cars. Um, it's actually not sales at the dealership where we make money. Um, so even though we lost, uh, such a big portion of our production, which, I mean, I don't even remember when we were down for that long. Um, you know, the results of the quarter showed the resilience of the business. And, uh, so just having a good, um, management team, making the right cost decisions, um, yeah. They're yeah, different. well
1: the thing is it's, it is about costs or you're, you know, you get sunk pretty quick.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think
1: people forget that when you have a scale that's large, it just means that the down can be much worse mm-hmm. because it's just magnified. So at the end of the day, uh, so you see a turning around now?
2: What turning around how?
1: Like COVID is
2: turning around? I mean, we're back up to full production, which is fantastic. Um, Can't predict what's going to happen next. Um, I mean, of course, COVID hit um, Asia first, so China was down. Um, They came back up and running as it was really affecting the United States and North America. Um, But we learned a lot of things from them getting back up to production over there that we were able to apply here. Um, And also, as soon as the pandemic started, Mary Barra, who is our C- our chairman and CEO, uh, made the decision to start building um, ventilators and masks. So we, I mean, within, I, I believe it was a month, we converted one of our facilities to be building these very intricate, you know, ventilators. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we had to have people going into the plant for that. So um, in order to be back up and running, I mean, COVID is, is still very real today. Um, and safety is a top priority for General Motors, even like before COVID, like you are, it's, you know, really ingrained into that, you know, we're not going to do anything without keeping our employees safe, without making sure that our vehicles are safe for customers. Um, So we weren't going to be back up and running until we figured out how to keep employees safe when they enter the plant while they're working and when they leave. Um, But looking at um, uh, what's called U.S., uh, US SAR, which is uh, the seasonally adjusted rate of sales in the U.S., it's basically how many cars industry sells um, in a given time period, and that is definitely showing signs of recovery, um, substantial signs of recovery. So people are, you know, they're buying vehicles again. Dealerships are opening back up. Um, there's also a lot of new innovations in that space too. I mean, we've we've always had the option to buy, do a lot of the buying experience online. And we're seeing a shift in people, um, you know, using our shop click drive technology to buy, buy vehicles and things like that, so they don't have mm. to go in and, uh, and and be in contact yeah. with other people.
0: Hmm. Well, that's an interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah I I think uh, COVID has totally changed how people buy. Like online yeah. is just going to be this huge, permanent. Like it's not going to go back. I know that I was talking to somebody who was saying, Oh, it was so nice to see my doctor over zoom. Why are we ever going to go back to the waiting room? You know, because you know all I needed was a prescription, you know, and you have to see the person to get the prescription. So mm-hmm. I, I think that even in other sectors, there's going to be uh, why go back to doing it that way when it's unnecessary, we figured out another way to do it. So let's do it this way.
2: Well, even the way that we do business, like forgetting the production side, even, you know, the folks in the office, we've been working from home since, since March, every single day we've been working at home and we have been just as productive, if not more productive, you eliminate the commute. Um, you eliminate, I mean, you might have other distractions at home, but you eliminate distractions that you might have at work. Um, you know, you get up and you start working and, um, so, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the five day workday week. Um, and COVID's proven that we don't have to. So. Uh,
0: I was going to ask you, I imagine like uh, the way a company uh, communicates how they're dealing with a crisis has impact on the brand uh, perception, right. In, in the market. Right. I guess. So how do you sort of um, communicate that or what's, what's, creating a narrative about what's going on now to help GM. How do we create a narrative about? About say a crisis like this to sort yeah. of, so that because, you know, the way a company handles something like this or um, just communicates where they're at, I guess that affects trust, um, investor trust or public trust so that they'll keep wanting to buy your vehicles, right?
2: Right. And like I said before, our top priority is, you know, employee safety and safety of of customers. Right. So um we have been very public about what we're doing at our manufacturing facilities to keep people safe. And those methods are working. I mean, my my dad and my brother both work at um GM plants as well. Um, and the protocols are are pretty extensive. Um Uh, But also, I mean, on the customer front, um, we have, you know, different clean initiative programs um, at dealerships to make sure that customers are comfortable um, when they're buying their vehicles. Um, So, but we also, I mean, we also took this as as an opportunity. Like you said, we have the scale. We also have this incredible global um, network in our supply chain. Um, So in terms of like ventilator production, we were able to tap into that um, network that we have to figure out and, and, you know, we're experts in manufacturing and setting up manufacturing lines. Mm. Um, So there were just a lot of things that we were able to just jump into and do um, Mm. not only to make sure that our employees and customers were taken care of, but using um, our scale and power to, you know, help society. Mm. So
1: that's sort of an interesting uh, thought It just came to me as you were talking that um, when we talk about supply, we often in economics make it sound like this instant thing. But, you know, and then we talk about short run and long run and short run is when capital is fixed and long run when capital can be made flexible in a typical story of a line. You know, whatever your vehicle is, how long is it from beginning to end before the first car comes off the line? Like what's your short run? To long run look like.
2: So when you start building the vehicle to when it rolls off?
1: Uh, let's do two. You, the concept of a vehicle to build it to deciding that this plant is now going to produce a vehicle of a certain type.
2: Yeah. Um, that takes years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm
2: not an expert in that area. Um, but yeah, from concept to, to where it where we're going to build to when it rolls off the line. I mean, that those are, those are big decisions, big investments that need to be made. Um, and it's not only thinking about, you know, what's going to be the most cost effective, but, um, there's also political considerations that you have to make, um, especially, you know, where we are today. Um, there's also a lot of things that you can't predict who's going to be in office, you know? So, um, but if, I guess my experience is more in the shorter term. Um, I've, you know, I, I ran around in plants for almost two years, which was, it's absolutely, if if you ever get a chance to get into a, a vehicle manufacturing plant, it's absolutely incredible to see how, how, how cars are made um, and what goes into it. But um, once we have all the inputs, I mean, you have, um, you know, some stuff um, we make on our own, uh, parts or, um, different components of the vehicle or or some we outsource because it's cheaper to do that. Um, so we have like a stamping factory, so we'll get sheet metal to come in and we have stamping plants that are stamping these big, you know, pieces of sheet metal into doors or hoods or whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have processes like that. We have the body shop where we're actually, um, you know, welding the body of the car together. We have the paint shop where we're Obviously, painting the car um, or the panels of the car, and then we have general assembly, which is where I'd say most of our um, uh, labor is used in in putting the car together. A combination of you know both robots and and labor, um, depending on what vehicle it is. If you're looking at like a Corvette, which is much more intricate and uh, complex with a lot more options than say a Chevrolet Malibu. Um, You know, a Corvette might take two to three days um, from the beginning of the line to the end of the line. If you're looking at something like, you know, a pickup truck, um, it could beginning to end. It could go, you know, through the plant in the course of a day. Um, So it all depends on the vehicle. Um, It depends on the inputs. Now we're getting into, you know, we're going from ICE uh, vehicles, which stands for internal combustion engines, to EVs, electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, so that's changing the entire landscape of how we manufacture. Now, you know, we're, we have to source batteries and we don't need engines or transmissions anymore. So, um, so yeah, a a lot's changing and, and the length of time and, and, and how we do things is, is evolving every single day.
1: Yeah. So productivity is important. Like, so you, do you measure, do you do, um, kind of you measure how long it takes for each part to be done? Like, you know, this takes five minutes, this takes two minutes, like, do you actually know how long things take to do?
2: Um, everything is down to a very precise science. That is for sure. We have this thing when at the plant, it's called a footprint. So it's like, there's a piece of tape on the ground in one spot, a piece of tape on the ground in the other spot. You have the car, you know, the car continues to move on the line. And you have to finish your job or a series of jobs within that footprint. Um, and that footprint, it can be as short as 30 seconds where you have to get everything done. Um, that's more if you're working on an engine line, you'd have, to get, you'd have to do your job as quickly as that until it goes to the next uh, footprint. If you're looking at the Corvette plant, you have more like two to three minutes in that footprint to get all of your jobs done because of the complexity of what you're doing. So um, yeah, it all depends. We're always looking at ways to, to increase productivity because we want to uh, pump out cars as fast as we can. But again, most important thing is safety. After safety, it's quality. So we're not going to sacrifice either of those two things just to put more out there.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you own a Corvette? <laughs> I'm
2: wearing a, I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> it is my favorite vehicle. Uh, the mid-engine just came out recently. Um, I do not own a Corvette. I do own a Volt, which is a hybrid of, um, it has a it has a battery in it, um, as well as a gasoline engine. Um, so it goes for about 60 miles. So what, just over 100, 120 kilometers on a charge. And then it converts to gas. So for me, it was important to um, experience and uh, you know be a part of the the future of of mobility, which is electric. Um, and it's pretty cool. I mean, you turn my car on, you don't hear it. You don't hear it on the road. I don't pay for gas because I'm not typically driving more than 120 kilometers on a charge. Um, we don't make volts anymore because we're you know we're going completely all electric. We just had. Um, we just revealed the the Cadillac Lyric, which is our all-electric SUV. Um, we have an all-electric Hummer that's yet to be revealed later this year. Um, but it's pretty incredible what we're doing in, in that space. I mean, the electric Hummer, it's going to have 1,000 horsepower. Um, wow. <laughs> I, I've seen it. it. We haven't revealed it yet. Again, it's coming. Um, but, you know, the innovation that's happening in, in this space is 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 pretty incredible. But there's a lot that needs to happen to get there. You know, It's not just uh, mm-hmm. the products, it's the infrastructure. Yeah, you know, it's, how are we going to charge these things? Charging
0: stations, yeah. So have you, um, so have you uh, over the years, like increased your research and development, or have you shifted your research and development uh, in terms of electric vehicles? Is it just a Again, shift no, focus, or is it like you've really ramped up to, because of the competition?
2: I I mean I couldn't answer that from a company's perspective but from what we're talking about um we've shifted especially a lot of our engineering resources to electric because that mm-hmm. is the future. I mean uh, we talk about General Motors talks about a world with zero crashes, zero, emiss- zero emissions and zero congestion. Um and to get there you need to have fully electric vehicles and you need to have autonomous vehicles which you know, blows some people's minds, but the reality is we're going to have electric autonomous vehicles on the road, um, a lot sooner than, than most people think. Um, so that's I'd what love we're going
0: that. get in the back and sit yeah. back and <laughs> wherever I want to go. Actually, I
1: think for our generation, it's going to be great because, you know, as people age, they get their license taken away from them. Right. Because yeah. They yeah. And we'll be able to keep driving because we don't have the problem of, um, I hand coordination issues because our vehicle will do it for us. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm so actually really hard. looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah,
2: it seems like it's he's still trying to it. free it up because he wants to get in one of those autonomous vehicles. I mean, in San Francisco, we have, you know, vehicles on the road without a steering wheel and without pedals. They're not available commercially or for, they're for testing only. Um, but, you know, that stuff is out there already. So,
0: I can't imagine, how though, like I always just so. Like, how is this? OK, California can work, you know, but how does this work in Canada? But, you know, I guess there's smart people coming up with solutions. That's right. How are you going to work in the snow and these icy icy conditions? Right. I mean, that is probably a big obstacle for, for those cars. Right.
2: Yeah. And it's not like a switch overnight. I mean, if you you could get some autonomous um, technology today, if you go to a Cadillac dealership, and by um, our flagship Cadillac CT6 uh, sedan, it's equipped.
0: That's happen. <laughs> Me, that's above my a grade.
2: <laughs> but that's equipped with a technology called um, super cruise. And if you've ever used wow. cruise control in your car, um, mm-hmm. it's the same concept, except you don't only take your feet off the pedal, you take your hands off the wheel. Um, wow. and it drives for you. Um, we just added lane assist. So if you want to change lanes, you just um, put your signal on. And when the road's clear, your car will actually change lanes for you. So it's not autonomous, but you know, it's those steps toward it, um, to get customers comfortable with that. And I've used the technology and I mean, pressing that button and then taking your hands and feet off the wheel and just sitting there, it's, uh, it's a little intimidating, but you get used to it pretty quickly and it's, it's, it's incredible.
1: I think like anything, uh, when it's thrust upon you, I mean, I, I'm not a technical person, but through this COVID situation, I've actually learned how to, uh, you know, use microphones and webcams and, you know, yep. and, uh, video editing, and uh, which I didn't know how to do before. So now you, and, and, you know, even with COVID, my banking, e-transfers are now the way to do it. And, you know, if someone sends me a check, I take a picture, like I've been forced to be... Yeah move yeah. ahead and and if you don't get forced sometimes people resist so like with cruise control I never use cruise control I don't like the feeling of lo- of doing that but my husband uses it all the time because he travels long distance he goes right. I just don't want a sore leg you know yeah. and yeah. so I think sometimes what happens is when you're when something's forced upon you you suddenly make the change so maybe mm-hmm. government is really important here they're forcing change like I think California is going to force it right that they have to yeah, have electric
2: vehicle.
1: for electric Sorry? vehicles, electric vehicles, I think are like, aren't some States making them mandatory?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, going back to some of the things that affect supply for government involvement, um, that was actually one of my examples that I was going to bring up. So, um, you know, government regulations such as um, emissions and fuel economy is huge, um, and it forces automakers to consider where they're going to allocate their capital um, and how to, to, you know, design their supply chains for future vehicles. Um, so that's something that we're facing today. And like I mentioned, with the transition from ICE to EVs, um, again, internal combustion engines, which uses gasoline to um, all electric Um I mean GM was way ahead of that we've we're, we're putting significant investment into um in, into electric vehicles not only building the vehicles but we're partnering um for charging stations you know around the US um but not every OEM um which uh, stands for original equipment manufacturer so other automakers uh not everyone has the the capital or the willingness or technology to do that and they need to be forced to do it right um Mm -hmm. but if you have a company that is investing into something um that others aren't i mean we're making a bet on the future but we're also taking away capital from other things that we can be doing today um so there's an opportunity cost it's there's absolutely yep yes but you know we want future regulatory framework to help transition the industry to evs um and there's been a bit of that i mean there's been and i I believe this was in canada too but you'd get uh if you bought uh an electric vehicle uh you'd be uh you'd get you know a check from the government for doing that um so anything that promotes uh the transition to evs is you know something we're absolutely on board with
1: yes well, this is, uh, this has been a very interesting conversation, you know, in terms of uh, kind of the big, big sector that affects mm-hmm. a lot of lives. And yep. I know sometimes people think about trade agreements, and they think, oh, you know, you need mm-hmm. to manufacture domestically. And so I guess one of the ways you've worked around for exchange rate hedges is that you, you manufacture where you sell. Mm-hmm. But there's still the whole sector you know it's bigger than just making the cars or in the vehicles yeah. it's it's everybody involved in uh, all the way up the supply chain to the you know where they sell them and service mm-hmm. them and so yeah. you have a you have a sector that is pretty huge in uh, mm-hmm. terms of Canada and United States gross domestic products so um, yeah. this has been interesting
0: it's, it's so fascinating though I think too just from a human behavior standpoint it's just hassles sometimes just cause you to adapt in a positive way like evie was saying um and right you were saying about regulations it's interesting probably at first you know people oh it's a drag you know regulations Mm -hmm. but you know you can either respond and be creative and find see that as a opportunity to do something really cool which obviously electric vehicles that's got to be exciting for engineers and everybody to develop right Mm i think you'd be at the forefront right but it's a hassle at first, uh, all these things. It's same with like things like COVID, right? Like Abby was saying, it's a hassle. Oh, I got to do this. But it actually is good, right? It's good for everybody.
2: Well, yeah, what COVID has done too, it's, it's forced us to innovate in ways that we wouldn't have ever done before. And I think that's true for anyone, even in our daily lives, right? Um, and an example of this, not necessarily having to do with the supply curve, but... Um, as soon as this started, we implemented zero-based budgeting, which is a term that's you know kind of become a buzzword for a lot of big companies. Um, and what that is is instead of having a budget and seeing okay, how are we going to allocate all of our um, capital and resources, you go to zero, and it's like okay, what do we really need in order to be successful, to win, to. Um, to win in the future, um, so that's that's been a shift for us. I mean, I'm I don't work directly in finance, so I'm not exactly sure what desi- what the decisions are that are being made in that space. But I just know that that's you know one way that we've changed things to mm-hmm. figure out okay what what costs can we take out beyond what we thought we couldn't live without.
1: Well, one thing for sure, when you have a disaster like this, you want to figure out how to survive. Mm-hmm. And surviving, I mean, you have to you have to protect the goose right you got to make yeah. sure that these eggs keep getting laid so you've got to make sure that uh, there's a that that everyone is on board with keeping uh something mm. from going under and uh sometimes people don't move quick enough they just keep doing mm. it the old way and then yeah. they realize that was a mistake so so you're yeah. actually saying that a lot of the car companies which are huge have become quite nimble
2: yeah um I'd say GM has become nimble. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: That's good. <laughs> I can't speak for the others, but, yeah. um, I mean, if, if this hit us, you know, I mean, we went bankrupt in 2008, right? So, um, and essentially we went through a similar situation. It was just condensed a lot. You know, 2008 was a prolonged recession. This was a very short, deep lived recession. Yes. Um, and we were able to get through it um, because of the way that we've structured our business. So,
0: so I was, good for I was, you. I was,
1: so, tell me, yeah. CEO, good job.
0: Yeah, yeah good job. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you mentioned something about one. I mean, big input is labor. I, I imagine a lot of uh, the relationship with la- between labor and business has got to be have a lot of thought, right? Because you know, people are being laid off, uh, their do- yeah. jobs are changing. Like, you know, you're, these nursing homes in Canada, we're re-looking at, you know, who are the people we're hiring and how are they getting paid and all that. So that's got to be a huge um, thing you're thinking about, right, in terms of finances.
2: For sure. Yeah, and making sure that we have the right people for the right jobs. And um, I, can't, I can't remember if it was a year or two years ago, but like I said, we we made an intentional shift to um, really focus a lot of our engineering talent on um, on electrification and autonomous strategies. Um, I can't remember the exact ratio, but I, I believe it was like 80% was working on you know, traditional ICE um, vehicles technology, and 20% was working on electric. And we actually swapped that so that 80% of our um, you know, engineering development R&D workforce is focused on electric autonomous and 20% is on ice. Um, because the thing is the vehicles that we're bu- we still need to sell, uh, develop, manufacture, um, the vehicles that everyone drives today, because we're not ready to make that full transition, um, to electric. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, labor is something we're definitely thinking about and, you know, electric vehicles are going to be more complex. We're driving computers now. Um, and that requires, I think, a different uh, skill set to to manufacture those vehicles. So, just looking at, you know, what what are we going to need to build those vehicles of the future? Cool.
1: Well, I guess I just want to end with one little um, sort of positive. So, you really feel that uh, taking um, an economics and finance degree helps you in this mm-hmm. particular job, which is actually writing and public mm-hmm. relations, right? So. You, are you, So you're one of the few people who has this background in
2: your group? Um, yeah. Our, I mean, our communications department is over 100. I mean, GM has a fairly large communications department, which is different from marketing, which a lot of people confuse.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so communications, public relations, uh, media relations is what we do. Um, and everything else is assigned. Uh, um, but yeah, having the degree that I have, I mean... there's a lot that I've learned on the job, but having this background has helped me in ways that I never would have imagined. Um, And it's, I guess I have two examples. One, um, we have a chief economist at General Motors. And because of my background, I've kind of become her, um, you know, she gets quoted in the media, we have to, we get requests, you know, to speak to, to our chief economist, Elaine Buckberg, and I'm kind of the conduit of okay should we put her out there what should we be saying um and you know I can just tap into Elaine whenever I need to say okay can you give me an update you know how are interest rates affecting uh vehicle demand right now and I'm able to ask those questions because of you know the understanding that I have um so that shows up a lot there um and also, I mean, the, I, I got an email from the Wall Street Journal yesterday, actually. They're writing a story on um, how GM uses game theory and risk management. Oh, cool. <laughs> so not sure if that's something that we're going to respond to. I need to dig into it. I have no idea how or what we do there. But I mean, I took game theory in in undergrad. So um, <laughs> it, it shows up in ways that, you know... Um, I think a lot of people would be like, okay, what the heck is she talking about? But (laughs) I knew knew who to go to. And I'm like, Hey, maybe there's a good story to tell here. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, but even like, you know, I have to just writing the press release for, for earnings or um, I mean, I, I had to do, we issued uh, $4 billion of bonds um, a few months ago to make sure that the liquidity of the company was strong enough to withstand this. Um, so a lot of the things that I learned in my economics courses showed up there to understand, okay, how I had to become the expert when media called to talk about it, um, drawing down on our revolving credit facilities. I mean, <clears throat> everything we do in, you know, any any global company is going to touch on economics. So having that background um, definitely gives me something uh, that a lot of others don't. So. Cool.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Lauren. This was uh, i I think this was a a convoluted, we meandered a bit, but definitely interesting conversation. And it definitely shows that uh, making cars is uh, kind of complicated. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and companies want to make a profit, which means they have to figure out smart ways to make cars. So, um, and, and keeping costs down and keeping quality up and, having safety by everybody. So all these, um, all of these goals, uh, go into the product is not just a car. It's, right. it's bigger than a car. So yeah. anyway, it was, uh, this was great. Thanks so
2: much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, anytime.